0: Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 131. We'll begin with a brief summary of Ezekiel chapters 44 through 48 and conclude this book with some thoughts about equalization and reparation. And we're back. If you were with us in our last episode, Yechezkel was being led around the future temple in Jerusalem by a bronze man. And uh, he was tasked with measuring out all of its courts, vestibules, thresholds, recesses, chambers, pilasters, and even some of the sacred furniture with a linen cord and measuring reed. In chapter 44, the tour continues, but it's not going to be for the purpose of measuring, but for instruction. God leads Jehezkel to the eastern gate and tells him, quote, This gate is to be kept shut and is not to be opened. No one shall enter it because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered it. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Then at the north gate, Yehezkel beholds a vision of God filling the temple with his presence and the further instruction that he make sure that all the rules regarding the temple and ritual purity be followed. This would be of particular interest to Yehezkel as he was a Kohen, a priest, who was trained to serve in the temple. No aliens or uncircumcised were allowed entry and the Levites who strayed from righteousness would also be barred and only the descendants of the Kohen Tzadok. Would be allowed to perform the sacred rites, wearing the linen, wool-free vestments, trimming their hair to the appropriate length. <laughs> Get a haircut, hippie. <laughs> they must also avoid drinking while on duty, as well as widows and divorces for marriage partners. you a virgin who can't drive. Man, that was harsh. The rest of the chapter delves in even deeper into the practical aspects of ritual purity that a Kohen must keep, and I would happily get into it here, but it's pretty arcane stuff. If you're curious, I do a real deep dive into Tahara ritual purity in episodes 26 through 28. Feel free to hit the archive. As we're still kinda in the construction mode, chapter 45 discusses zoning and the set aside necessary for the sacred confines and the Kohanim that will serve in it, as well as the space necessary for the prince which will be alongside the Sacred Reserve. World-building for the future Jutopia continues with talk of... Weights and measures. That's right. Because no utopian society worth its salt can function without a fair system of weights and measures. Oh, and a regimen of near offerings. Remember, a Kohen trained in this stuff, so he's really eating it up, literally and figuratively. The rest of us? Eh, less so. Chapter 46 continues with the nuts and bolts of the new reality. The inner court gate of the temple will remain closed during the week and only open on Shabbat and new moons, where the Kohen will make near offerings in the gate area. There's some more details about grain and animal offerings, rules for entry into specific gates, festival offerings. As much as this stretch of Yehezkel screeches to a halt from a driving the plot forward perspective, it definitely gives us a sense of the texture of this new reality down to the day-to-day details. So if you can make it through all of this exposition, you get a real sense of what life will be like for the people and the Kohanim in this Jutopia. Chapter 47 takes the Jutopian visit to the next level with some terraforming. The barren landscape of the Judean desert is transformed as water begins to flow from the threshold of the temple eastward. Ehezkel and the bronze man start walking in the water until they can't walk anymore without swimming in this new river as it flows from Jerusalem down toward the Jordan Valley. Trees sprout up to line the shore as the fresh water pours into the saline waters of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea will be dead no longer, coming alive with fish and all sorts of sea life. Fishermen will stand in Engedi and cast their nets and trees will sprout along the shores, yielding fruit and healing leaves. And then the land will be redistributed. It's a different scheme than what we saw in the books of Numbers and Joshua. This time, it's only the land on the western bank of the Jordan River. That is, the land of Canaan. And this time, even the gerim, the strangers, are included. The book of Yehezkel concludes on a note of peace, order, and reconciliation. It's a welcome conclusion, considering how prophets usually go on about how terrible everything is. And on that optimistic note, here endeth the lesson. There are so many truly revolutionary steps in the culmination of this Jutopian vision. And first, I mean this is a subtle one. First, the law is entrenched and applicable to everyone. There are no favorites or exemptions for anyone. When God closes the Eastern Gate and bars anyone from using it, it includes even Yehezkel, the prophet, the Kohen, the leading role model exemplar, and even in his vision he's not allowed to enter. Second, The vision of fresh water irrigating the Jordan Valley and turning it into a paradise overturns the millennia-old condemnation of that region because it once housed Sodom and Gomorrah, exemplars of inhospitality. The barren land and the Dead Sea were testament to humanity's evil tendencies and actions. Now, that same basin, the lowest point on earth, will be an earthly paradise. Third, By redistributing the land, God also reorganizes and realigns the Jewish people. No longer will the rivalries of east versus west be relevant. No longer will there be a northern and southern kingdom. We are all one people now. And finally, this realignment also includes Gerim, the strangers, in the division of the land of Israel. You take one of the weakest, most vulnerable groups, amongst the Jewish people, and you enfranchise them by giving the gerim, strangers, land, you give them instant equality. This, perhaps, was the idea behind the promise made to enslaved black farmers by Union General William Tecumseh Sherman on January 16th, 1865. Freed people widely expected to legally claim the 40 acres of land and a mule that he had promised after the end of the American Civil War. Some land redistribution did occur under military jurisdiction during the Civil War and for a brief period thereafter. However, reconstruction proved to be a betrayal of the people it was supposed to help. Federal and state policy put an emphasis on wage labor, not land ownership for former slaves. Almost all land allocated during the Civil War was restored to its pre-war owners. Land ownership is a form of generational wealth that not only has a benefit in the present, but also in the future. Imagine if Sherman's promise had been fulfilled and hundreds of thousands of disenfranchised black men and women were suddenly vested with land. It would have resulted in a radically different America today. I say this in light of simple logic, but it also, there's hard data to support this. In a 2017 report entitled The Road to Zero Wealth, Chuck Collins, Dedrick Asante Mohammed, Emmanuel Nevis, and Josh Hoxie calculated that median wealth for black Americans will fall to zero dollars by 2053. If current trends continue, Latino Americans, who are also experiencing a sustained downward wealth slide, will hit zero dollars about two decades later. I'll post a link to the full report at thenextjew.com. Here's a depressing statistic, quote, by 2020, median black and Latino households stand to lose nearly 18% and 12% of the wealth they held in 2013, respectively while median white household wealth increases by 3%. At that point, white households are projected to own 86 times more wealth than black households and 68 times more wealth than Latino households. Now again, wealth is not income. Income is the money someone receives on a regular basis at the end of the week, end of the month, you know, that paycheck. While wealth is a person's net worth. Everything she and her family have accumulated. And again... The primary means by which average folks build generational wealth is home ownership, land. Like my ancestors in Egypt, black Americans were enslaved in the United States. Their labor generated tremendous wealth for the southern states and by extension the United States itself. When the Civil War ended, virtually nothing was done to give black Americans a share of that wealth. And on top of that, policies like redlining and racially restrictive housing covenants created further barriers, preventing black people from buying homes or isolating them in communities that lost value as white residents fled to the suburbs. So how do we fix this? How do we redress this inequality? Well, the first thing we can do is acknowledge the history of racism and inequality in the United States and the history of racism and inequality in all settler colonialist societies, Canada included, as well as Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Israel, the list goes on and on. The second thing we can do is actually pursuing equality. When Yehezkel says that even the gerim, the strangers, get land in Israel, that means that some vested enfranchised Jews somewhere out there is going to get a little less land. In North America, A more diverse and inclusive society, a society with real equality, means that white people aren't always going to get their way. And it's not just about not always getting your way. The folks who take up the bulk of the resources, opportunities, and space, in other words, white people, will have to give up a generous amount of that power to those it was kept from through slavery, genocide, colonization, mass incarceration, institutional discrimination, and imperialism. That's just how it's going to have to be. There's no other way to get to equality and fairness unless we reshuffle the deck and redistribute access to the political system, to institutions of education, medicine, and justice. And that's just off the top of my head. It probably also includes housing, too, and economic opportunities. Have I scared you with all this equality talk? That someone more darker-complected than I is coming to take all your stuff? Well, it seemed to have scared a lot of Americans in November of 2016. Well, first of all, it's not all of your stuff. And second of all, all your stuff, you know, it's not yours by right. You don't deserve it any more than anyone else. So just get over yourself. It's really not about you, actually. It's about fairness and equality. If you believe in all that talk, you got to walk that walk too, son. Otherwise, you can stand shoulder to shoulder with those dudes in the khaki pants and tiki torches and shout, you will not replace us and Jews will not replace us. Don't forget that was part of the chant too. Yehezkel understood this upheaval of the existing order and how necessary a part it was in ushering an era of messianic salvation, and he did not mince words, quote, you shall treat them as Israelite citizens. They shall receive allotments along with you among the tribes of Israel. You shall give the stranger an allotment within the tribe where he resides, declares the Lord God. Unfortunately for the strangers, Jezekel's vision did not come to pass. They remained marginalized and sidelined. In Jewish society for subsequent centuries and Jewish society arguably suffered because of this divisiveness. Unfortunately for freed slaves, Sherman's promise remained unfulfilled. They remained largely landless in American society and projections going forward do not look good vis-a-vis black generational wealth. Any talk of reparations is stifled almost immediately by conservatives and fragile white folks and American society will surely continue to suffer because of the continuing animus and divisiveness and hollow itself out from the inside. But these dire predictions are not fixed and set if we come to understand and embrace what prophets then and now tell us about justice and righteousness. We can bring that time when we can truly live together as equals as Yehezkel declared and visionaries like Martin Luther King and ta Coates advocate. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for Tanakhcast and pledge your Shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that, and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 132, when we begin the first book in the Book of Twelve with Hosea, chapters 1 through 3.